Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. The following is a Drop D podcast production. Darkmyths.org and Neopolis Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host, Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. Hi there. Good lord, it's been a while since I heard that introduction. <laughs> Gives me goosebumps all over a little bit. What's up everybody? This is your boy Rob Clark, back on the Lone Gunman Podcast. You might be saying, what in the hell are you doing back? Yes, it's been over a year since the show has had a new episode. It never really went away. I just decided to take a big, long, nice, deserved break. As I've said many, many times in this show, when researching anything that consumes your life, you need to take a break every once in a while and just step back and enjoy the other things in life. That being said, I've had a nice long break. <laughs> uh, nice long break from social media, a nice long break from doing this show. Uh, you may have heard me on the Midnight Rider News Show where I've done a quarterly, that means every three months show over there for ST to give him a break every once in a while. Uh, but it's very different from what I do here. That being said, the show you are about to listen to was originally uh, done for the Midnight Rider News Show, uh, but my absence from social media uh, precluded me from understanding that there may have been some bad blood between my guest and uh, S.T. Patrick of the Midnight Rider News Show and people that he's associated with and things that have went down and so on and so forth. Which is fine. It's his show. He calls the shots. Uh, but I also have a platform here where I can do whatever I want. 
So that being said, I have a guest on my show who is not a conspiracy theorist, but he used to be. In fact, he was a teenage conspiracy freak. His name is Fred Litwin, and he wrote a book called I Was a Teenage Conspiracy Freak, and I've got him on the show today for you. And without further ado, let's get right into the interview. Uh, For those of you out there who would like to give me some feedback, it would be greatly appreciated. You can find me on Twitter at my new Twitter handle, at TheLoneGunman7. Or my email is still the same, TheLoneGunmanPodcast at gmail.com. You can find Fred's book on Amazon and his website uh, to order if you would like to check it out. Again, uh, give me some feedback. Your boy is back. And without further ado, let's get right into this interview. My guest tonight is author Fred Litwin. How are you doing, Fred? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I might not have a job after talking to you, but I think... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you might not. I know. I know. It's terrible. Can't we all just get along? You know, that's what I say. Yeah, I agree. So, Fred, you were the author of a book that caught my eye uh, and was suggested to me because, of course, I have all these JFK books on Amazon, but... You know, you, your your book popped up, and the title, I Was a Teenage JFK Conspiracy Freak, you know, really pops out at you. Right, yeah. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself and kind of what brought you to wanted to write this book. Well, I'm from Canada. I used to work in the computer industry. I worked for Intel Corporation for nine years in Europe, Asia, and uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah, Europe and Asia. And... Um, I retired in 2000. I founded a music company called Northern Blues Music, where I produced uh, cutting-edge blues music. We've released around 70 CDs. Um, I then started a film society in Ottawa. And in 2015, I came came out with my first book, Conservative Confidential, Inside the Fabulous Blue Tent, which was about my switch from being a left-wing anti-nuclear activist to being a conservative party campaigner. And... uh, In 2018, I published my second book, I Was a Teenage JFK Conspiracy Freak, which is part memoir, part analysis, and it really shows um, why I moved from believing in a conspiracy in the JFK assassination to believing that Oswald was the lone gunman. Right, and yeah, the key word in that title was, was, I was a teenage JFK conspiracy freak. That's right. Um, And I may still be one, for all I know. Um, a lot of us are out here. At least we're, all, you know, interested in the case per se. Yeah. So, so what brought you to be interested in the case to begin with? Well, I was uh, 18 years old. I was uh, it was March 1975. I was late night at home watching television, and I was watching the Geraldo Rivera show. And uh, late night in March, he showed uh, the Zapruder film. Oh yeah. First time ever showing on TV, and I saw it. I was quite shocked see the back and left movement of JFK's head um, after the fatal shot. Right. Um, it seemed really uh, fairly convincing that there was a shot from the front. And I knew that I had to find out more information. And so that was the start of me uh, getting into it, going to the library and, uh, 
and becoming a sort of a bit crazed about the assassination. Well, that was a kind of a cool time to get into it. I mean, that was right when the, the House Select Committee on Assassinations was getting started. It was before, just before. Right. That was right. the uh, his showing of the film was the impetus for the new investigation. Uh, but it was just before. It was very exciting because uh, you, you sort of thought, okay, the truth is finally going to come out. Right. Yeah, I was maybe three years old back then, <laughs> so I missed yeah. it. I missed, missed it. it. I missed it. You know, I, I got to see, you know, the big hoopla about, you know, the Oliver Stone's movie, JFK and the, the ARRB and all of that. But it, I think it would have been cool to, to have been alive and been interested in the assassination, you know, either back at the time of the Warren Commission or at the time of the House Select Committee and kind of follow along as best you could. Yeah. And so, you know, from from that, I went to the library and uh, I, or at the college I was going to and the only book they had was Mark Lane's Rush to Judgment. And oh, so yeah. I took I took that out and I basically devoured that in a few days. Um and that but that book was written in 1966 and it was now 1975. So I thought, you know, there's a bit of a gap. And I wanted to learn what had happened in the interim 9 years. Yeah. And I was particularly interested because in Mark Lane's book he said that the autopsy x-rays and photographs had been confiscated by federal police agents. <laughs> and so I wanted to find out, well, where were they? What had happened to them? And so that was part of my, my quest to find out what happened to the autopsy x-rays and photos. And what did you find out? Well, the first step was I, I went to the uh, periodical indexes to sort of look up old Time magazine and Newsweek magazines to sort of update myself. And the New York Times had a yearly uh, update, which which a subject index, so you can look at the Kennedy assassination every year and see what was new. And I learned that in 1972, two doctors, Cyril Wecht and John Latimer, had examined the autopsy x-rays and photos. Right. So I went to a directory of physicians in the U.S., got their addresses, and I wrote them both letters. And about three or four weeks later, they both sent me really thick packages with all their articles. Wow, and so cool. I immediately uh, got caught up to date with um, – and, of course, they both agreed that, of course, Kennedy was, hot, was shot from behind, not from the front. Right. And so uh, with Cyril Wecht, who was a uh, prominent forensic pathologist who was a critic of the Warren report – if he said that the evidence was clear that he was shot from behind, who might argue with him? True, true. And, and you know, back back at that time you're you're speaking of, there really were no pro lone assassin books being written. It was all conspiracy buff type stuff. That's right. It was all conspiracy stuff. And so I really focused in on the single bullet theory. It seemed to me that the biggest weakness in the case was the single bullet theory. And I think that's what really got Cyril Wecht very uh, agitated about the case. Yeah. I, I still can't wrap my mind around this. I mean, I understand how it could be certainly possible. Anything is possible. Um, but personally, you know, it's hard to believe that one bullet could have done all that damage and come out looking like it did. I don't why, but why do you say that? The bullet actually looks exactly the way it should. It tumbled after it exited Kennedy's throat. It made an elongated wound in the back of Connolly. It struck his rib in an elongated way. It entered the wrist backwards, 
um, and basically it extruded lead um, from the core. It looks perfectly as it should, given all the all those wounds and how it was tumbling. The the, the theory actually makes complete sense. Are you a hunter at all? Have you ever hunted? No, I'm not a hunter. I, well, just just from seeing the type of damage that is caused, that that a bullet takes when it impacts flesh, bone, it it, it deforms somewhat. Um, yes, but it depends on the speed of the bullet. This is true. This, the bullet had slowed down, and so this is the problem that facing a lot of people is the bullet slowed down, and so the bullet did not did not deform, uh, and it was and it was tumbling, so it hit on its side, and that's why the bullet is flattened on one side. Right. If you if you look at Discovery, uh, did a great reconstruction of the single bullet theory, and it it, it worked perfectly. Right, I I have trouble putting my faith in any any kind of documentary, um, and what you understand. But but, the, but you know the the thing is that documentary could have easily said, oh my god, the result is so off base, we have to reject the theory, but it wasn't. Right, but it depends on who's making the documentary and what what viewpoint they want to project. You know whether it be no. Oswald was alone. It seemed to be a very very honest reconstruction. Uh, all right. the forensic pathologists on the forensic pathology panel of the House Select Committee on Assassinations have no problem with the single bullet theory. It did not bother them at all. Right. But then you get to Parkland Hospital and the doctors there who speak of the throat wound as being an entrance wound. The, they only speak of that throat wound, only a few of them. And by the way, they weren't there to examine the wounds. There's a reason why we conduct autopsies. Because we know that, that uh, uh, attending physicians aren't in a position to really do the proper examination. They had 15 minutes to save his life. They were frantically working on Kennedy, and the first thing they did was a tracheotomy. They weren't there examining right. wounds. No, no, I understand that, and they, they, and they didn't do the autopsy. You know, that was done in, DC, in Bethesda um, by some incompetent doctors there. Um, they, they never dissected the throat. They wound. weren't incompetent. They'd never done a, an autopsy. That's not true. Unshot. That's it. completely not true. Fink had done many autopsies on bullet wounds. He was a forensic pathologist. But Humes and Boswell had not. They had done many autopsies. They weren't forensic pathologists. That's why they called in Fink. They needed a forensic pathologist to come in and help. Right. No, I understand that. So they were very competent uh, pathologists. Well, we can agree to disagree. I mean, Fink Fink kind of got handed handed to it at the Garrison trial, but uh, how how so? How so? Well, he got kind of put on a spot and was forced to admit some things. That what did he admit? All he admitted to was there were colonels there who were directing some things at the at the autopsy. Right. But well, guess mean, what? It's the president, <laughs> so people, you know, it doesn't mean he was incompetent. No, no, I'm not saying he was incompetent. I'm you saying can't impute they could have made some better choices other than Humes and Boswell to be conducting the autopsy. Well, That's... that was largely Jackie Kennedy. Jackie Kennedy was the one who said, go to Bethesda. Right. Because he served in the Navy. Had she said, let's go to Walter Reed, other people would have been chosen. So it right. was her decision. That's what she chose. And you've heard all the conspiracy theories about maybe he did go to Walter Reed first. Maybe he was altered in the plane. You've heard all this, right, from David? Come on, Lippen. this is all silly. This is all silly stuff. This is all silly, silly nonsense. 
No, no, I understand that. I'm I'm just asking you if you've heard all about all of course. that. Okay. Heard it. I mean, I, I read David Lifton back in 1981 when his book first came out. I've read more conspiracy books than most people who listen to you. I, <laughs> you know, really, I've read them. People always think that I never heard. I've never heard these theories. I know them. I've heard them. Right. Believe and, me. Look, trust me. I understand as a believer in a conspiracy that there are some whack jobs on my side of the fence. I I be the first one to admit it because I I mean. There's certain grades of folks on each side. Nothing's really black or white. There's a lot of gray when you're talking about certain aspects of this, and you can argue back and forth about little things all day long. Um, you know, but, and I've seen it on social media. You know, you have nasty folks, rude folks on both sides um, that are just not interested in the truth, really, but just interested in a good argument or pushing their point of view on somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, on on my show, the Lone Gunman, I used to have guys like you on all the time, and try to have a you know a conversation about things and get their point of view, because I thought it was a good thing to get a conversation started about it. Absolutely. You know, and these guys, you know, a couple of them made the same journey as you. They started off as a conspiracy theorist and now believe in uh, a Lone Gunman, but there's also, you know, some gray area there. So. Let me ask you a question, Fred. Sure. Go ahead. Do you believe that there was any kind of conspiracy at all that could have involved Lee Harvey Oswald? No. No. I, I say that only in the sense that uh, the type of person, Lee Harvey, he was a loner. He had no friends. We know how he spent most of his evenings. He basically spent most of his time in his rooming house by himself reading um, he wasn't the kind of guy who could really work with other people. You know, who would work with him? Who would even think of going to do something with Lee Harvey Oswald? Now, that doesn't preclude. I would say the one thing that I would not preclude is that there very well might have been somebody in Dallas who maybe egged him on, right? encouraged him to do it. Do you That's think possible, but I should say there's no evidence for it. Right. But, okay, go back a little bit in time. Do you think his going to Russia, do you think there was anything of an untoward nature about that, his defection to Russia, no. and the manner in which it happened? No. 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 You think he was just, he just he was wanted a communist. To, he was a communist. He just wanted to lead the Marines and make his way to Russia and defect and be done with yeah. America. Yeah. He was, he was, look, he was a very naive communist who learned a very hard lesson in going to the Soviet Union. Uh, he learned uh, the hard way what life was really like uh, over there, and that's why he uh, wanted to come back. Have you ever heard Ernst Titovitz talk about Lee Harvey Oswald and his time in Russia? I have. Okay, well, then you know that he had... He was friendly with folks in Russia. He had friends in the Marine Corps. He had friends in school growing up. Yeah. But all of a sudden, in 1963, he turns into this loner who doesn't have any friends. And the only real story we get from him is from Marina, who basically spent the most time with him said, you know, well, he never went anywhere. He came home from work and he stayed here. 
never went anywhere. Um, you know, we know now, of course, that Oswald was lying to her after he got canned from the uh, Riley Coffee Company that he he was still going to work every day when actually he wasn't. And, you know, he was doing all this other stuff, handing these flyers out. Do you think that there was anything sketchy going on in New Orleans the summer of 1963? No. 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 I mean, he's smack dab right in the middle. I should, of- I should add, you talk about him being a loner. Look, he, he certainly tried very hard to, uh, in his handing out leaflets and starting the chapters of the Fair Play for Cube Committee, he would have liked to work with other people, but nobody joined him in any, in any of these ventures. I mean, I'm sure he would have loved to have had lots of people join him, uh, but he was sort of a failure at all this stuff. Nothing panned out. Right. Um, I don't think it was by choice, but just that's the way it worked out. Well, being associated with the building that Guy Bannister was in and Sergio Arkasha Smith there in New Orleans and being around CIA assets like Bill Dalzell, Joe Newborough, and various other ones, and knowing that Guy Bannister was doing this type of, of what we call red hunting. You know, he was very anti-communist. And he would send guys out to the colleges to try to do the same thing, to try to get them to sign up to support Fidel Castro or communism. And then they'd be added to this list. And then he would he would notify the FBI as a former FBI guy, you know, about, hey, these are potential guys you need might want to watch or put on a list. You know, they might have communist leanings. Um, so w- why do you think that he couldn't have talked Oswald into kind of doing the same thing? It's not that he couldn't have. It's that there's no evidence that he did. Well, we have. You know, I mean, I, you know, I just have to go on the evidence. I mean, of course, lots of things are certainly possible. But in the absence of any evidence, what well, can I was, say? He was seen at. No, he wasn't. Was, sure, he, he was. was not. No, he wasn't. What's your yeah. proof on that? His secretary. Oh, come on. Daughter. Delphine Roberts has no credibility. It was only after she got paid by Anthony Summers that she started saying that. Joe she never Newborough. came forward to talk about that. Nobody can corroborate that. Joe Newborough said he was around. I don't believe any of that. You don't believe any of that? No. Okay. Why, why, why do you think he had that address stamped on his flyer? It was not the same address. There were different. There were different doors. Right, but it was. It, it, they did not lead. The, the, the address five forty four Camp did not lead into Bannister's office. No, but it's. it's you have to go around field. the corner to another another door. So you think just a coincidence that he's doing something that Guy look, Bannister happened to be doing? No, look. If he if Oswald had put any address on his billboards of any sort of major building down there, there would have been somebody else in that building that you would then say, oh, my God, look who else was in that building. Oh, my God. Well, let me, just... ask, let me ask you a question real quick, because it's something I don't understand. Go ahead. Okay, if, if, if he's doing this as a, as a serious, hey, I'm a communist, I support Fidel Castro type thing, why wouldn't he put a legitimate address on there where he actually could be contacted at or people could come to? Well, you know, you're asking me to go into the mind of Lee Harvey Oswald. 
It's always a very, very difficult thing for me to put myself 50 years back and into his mind. I'm not a mind reader. He didn't have that much money. I think he tried maybe to rent a, a, an office there. Maybe he had an office for a week or so. Um, you know, so I can't tell. Obviously, he wanted to look more credible. Uh, I can't tell you how many people do stuff sort of like that today where they put all sorts of f fake things on business cards, letterhead to try and be more credible. Um, that's a human thing that people, all sorts of people do. Right. So, all right, let's get back into your journey a little bit. At okay. what point, at what point do you kind of say, okay, I've had enough of all this conspiracy stuff. It's making, <laughs> giving me a headache, making my head crazy. And well, what, it was what basically, uh, turned you, it, it was, you know, towards the lone assassin theory. Well, the house select committee started in, in, uh, 77, 78. I was, I was in Toronto. I was in Kingston, Ontario studying to do my MBA. And I really didn't have much time for the JFK assassination, so I put it all aside. Right. Um, their report came out. I bought their report. I read it. And what really puzzled me, they accepted the single bullet theory. <clears throat> so number one, I really want – I said I said at some point in the future, I really want to see their underlying evidence why they accepted the single bullet theory. But I don't have time to do that now. Right. And the second thing, they, they, they concluded conspiracy based on the acoustics evidence. And something really bothered me. I said, my God, on, just on the acoustics evidence, they're saying well, a gunman on the knoll fired one shot at the motorcade and missed. That seemed strange. Seemed like a, a very, not enough evidence for a, a shot from the grass. So I, I said, at some point in my future... I have to go back and examine the, these two areas. So it happened in 1980, uh, basically in 1991. I was sent to England to manage the European operations for a computer company, which eventually was bought by Intel Corporation. And right. I got involved with a bunch of uh, JFK assassination people. And at that point, um, somebody, CD, somebody put the House Select Committee of Assassinations, there are 10 volumes of evidence, 12 volumes of evidence, on a CD-ROM. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, you know, time is right. I'll buy the CD-ROM, and I'll finally – maybe it'll tell me an answer to why they supported the single bullet theory and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so I got the CD-ROM, and I started printing out the chapters, and I was – stunned i was stunned by all the scientific tests the house select committee on assassinations performed forensic ballistic photographic fingerprint handwriting and guess what every single test supported a lone gunman every single one and by this time the acoustics evidence had been discredited so I had to face up to the fact that there was no evidence for conspiracy and that basically the underlying evidence that I was reading in the House Select Committee on Assassinations was forced me to become a, a believer that Oswald did it alone. Well, what do you make of their assertion that somehow the mafia might have been uh, involved a little bit? They did not say that. Well, that was Blakey's assertion. That was Blakey, but the ha actual House Select Committee on Assassination said the mob as a whole was not involved. Right. I mean, maybe they didn't come right out and say it, but of course they didn't. They, they said they said they no, weren't. No. I mean, I, I just got. We have to be honest here. No, I understand you know, what that. they said. 
But when you say that, okay, well, the head of the HSCA, Robert Blakey, comes out with a book after yeah, that. He wrote that, a book, and, and well, Blakey's That's the man that saw own... all the evidence, right? Well, I'm saying he's entitled to his own opinion. Right. But his own committee did not say that. We just have to be clear. Right. I understand that. And uh, there's no – again, there's, there's no evidence the mob was involved. Well, there's, there's certain connections that you can make with certain people. The, the, you yeah. know, then the question is, becomes, do you believe them or not? Well, <laughs> you know? there's connections also. You know, that's the problem is what a, what a lot of conspiracy theorists do is they give you a lot of unsavory connections, but the evidence doesn't lead to anything. Right. I mean, we, how you, on earth did the mob get to Lee Harvey Oswald? When did the mob, you know, it just, the whole thing doesn't make sense. What's the mob connection to Lee Harvey Oswald? Well, the mob connection to Lee Harvey Oswald starts in New Orleans when you're talking well, about. What's the connection Carlos in Dallas? Marcello. What's the connection in Dallas? Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby didn't know Oswald. No, I, kn I know he didn't. But he has Jack mafia. Jack Ruby had nothing to do with the assassination. He had mafia connections. He didn't. He, he wasn't mafia. As a nightclub owner in Dallas, at back then, he would have had. You know, Rob, he's trading. I have he's mafia strippers. Rob, between... I have mafia connections. I lived in Montreal. My best friend next door, his parents and uncle were high up in the mob. In fact, his uncle met with Meyer Lansky. I have connections to the mob that way. I'm not mob. No, I understand that, and so did Oswald's Same thing uncle, Dutz Moret. He had ties to Carlos Marcello. Yeah, so but that does that do with Dallas and Lee Harvey Oswald? Well, What's it ties the, in more to me in New Orleans when you're talking about G. Ray Gill, David Ferry. Ferry had nothing to do with it either. Eh. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Then why did Jack Martin out him like two days after the assassination, do you think? Jack Martin was a drunk uh, felon who had a, a thing for uh, – he hated David Ferry. They had a grudge. Right, right. They, they they had arguments. He hated him. So yeah. So the minute he saw what was going on, he, he had an opportunity to sort of get back at Ferry. But he had nothing on Ferry. Well, Ferry was in Texas and didn't really have a good excuse other than going to a skating rink. He did go to a skating rink. It was all checked out. He went to Galveston. Right. And that was that was but, the night of the assassination. That has nothing right. to do with the assassination. No, I understand that. But maybe he was to drop somebody off or pick somebody up. But he didn't. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Well, there's lots of maybes in the world, but without right. any evidence, you, uh, you know, again, I mean, I, I'm an atheist. I don't, you know, if, I don't believe in God. If you want to show me proof that there's a God, I'll believe it. You, the the onus is on you to show me proof that there's a connection, not on me to say uh, to prove the otherwise. In the absence of evidence, we cannot say it happened. No, I understand that, and several people have professed. Um, involvement in the Kennedy assassination. Well, there's no shortage. Yes, you know. there's no shortage of people who have professed. I mean, my God, if I can't, if I had a dollar for every people who either confessed or said they were involved, I, you know, I'd I'd be a wealthy man. So what? You need you need you need corroborating evidence. You do, and that's what we try to figure out in the form of. Have you ever heard of a guy named Thomas Beckham? I have. Okay, well, he was down in New Orleans, and he was part of the whole Garrison um, grand jury. Um, and the he whole really, Garrison case was a fraud. 
Yeah, uh, from speak, start to finish. I want to get your take on the Garrison trial. Speak on that a little bit, because I know you got a little bit of uh, some some venom dispute well, about Jim Garrison tactics. So New York Times said it was one of the biggest miscarriages of justice in American jurisprudence. The whole case was, was just horrific. Um, I really feel for Clay Shaw, who was a completely innocent businessman who did nothing but want to retire and write plays and restore properties in the French Quarter. And all of a sudden, he's dragged into the assassination, ruined financially by Jim Garrison, and then dies shortly after it's all over. I mean, it's just a, a very, very sad story. So you don't think Clay Shaw was involved in any... Do you, do you agree that he was outed as being a CIA asset after his death? He was not a he was he was a con he was a domestic contact for the CIA eight times between 1940s 48 and 1956. Right, where he would travel. You could read his reports. Right, right, but he he was denying so any CIA ties whatsoever. He said he didn't work for the CIA. He did not work for the CIA. Right. So how do you think? Garrison came to believe that Clay Bertrand was Clay Shaw. He wasn't. It, it all it all stemmed from the 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 the, the imagination of of, of uh, Dean Andrews. Dean Andrews and Perry Russo. Perry Russo was a, a complete fraud as well. Dean Andrews, of course, continually told Garrison that Shaw was not Clay Bertrand. You could go look in the Shaw, in the Garrison files. Every time they talked to Andrews, he would tell them quite out. Shaw, you know, Shaw is not Bertrand. I just uncovered a great document in the files where they said we went through the, the French Quarter. We, we could find no evidence that Clay Bertrand existed. What about that uh, scene from the movie JFK where he's in the police station and they ask if he had used any aliases? He, he himself said Clay Shaw, or I'm, I'm sorry, Clay Bertrand, but they couldn't use it in court. Is that something fictitious and made up? Of course. Or did that happen? Of course, it's fictitious. So Oliver the judge knew it. It, it. it was made up, and also the, the, the other detectives there testified that that didn't happen. So this guy was completely railroaded. Do you think completely he completely railroaded? Do you think he knew David Ferry at all? Probably not. They, they, they seem like look, you know, it's the sort of, the gay community. They they were very, very different people. David Ferry was sort of the lower end of the gay community, hanging out with uh, 18-year-old uh, – Clay Shaw was a very different, upstanding – he was a very different person. And so I don't think that he knew him. Now, did he ever see him somewhere? I don't know. I doubt it, but it's always possible. Yeah. But they're very different. I mean, they, they, they're, they're very – you know, you can see that in, in their demeanor. So you think Perry Russo was lying about everything? He was trying to please Garrison and cohorts. But he never changed his story till the day he died. Oh, of course he did. He told all, all sorts of people he wasn't telling the truth. Oh, go read his interviews with uh, Kirkwood and, and uh, other people. Oh, yeah, come on. He always changed his story. He knew it was phony. Hmm. Interesting. You need so, to read. Did you have you read James Kirkwood's book? I have not. Oh my God, you got to read it. Now is that the American that Grotesque? The, it's a great day. book. Okay. And the the really thing, the nice thing about it is that uh, James Kirkwood was a professional writer before he went to cover the Garrison trial. So the book is really beautifully written. 
you know, you glide through it. It's like a knife through butter. You know, it's a, it's sort of a real pleasure to read. I'm not a great professional writer, so you don't glide through my book <laughs> like you glide through Kirkwood's book. It's a, it's a work of art, and I everybody should read it. No, I agree. Even if you don't agree with the premise, you definitely should read it and give it a chance. Yep. I think the, the title is awesome as well, American Grotesque. I've seen it at a local uh, used bookstore, and I might you should get it. it. You should yeah. definitely pick it up. It's it's very entertaining. And and uh, again, you'll you'll really. And in fact, I was lucky because, again, while there was no non-conspiracy books out when I started first started going, the, the library did have American Grotesque, and that was one of the first books I did read. And so from the start, I was, uh, I I I never bought the Garrison stuff. Right. All right. Let's move to Dallas a little bit. We look to the School Book Depository. Yep. Chief Jesse Curry said in an interview, the one problem he had is they could never put Oswald on the sixth floor shooting that rifle. What what are your feelings about that? Well, you know, I don't think you had to. I mean, I think, look, Jesse Curry, the problem with Jesse Curry for anything is that Jerry, Jesse Curry may have been the police chief. He certainly was one who was not that involved with the investigation. Um, it, it was Fritz. It was, you know, so Jesse Curry was somewhat removed from the whole thing. So he could say a whole bunch of things. Uh, but so what? Yes. You know, I mean, you, you know, do you have to have, you know, we have an eyewitness who saw Oswald there. We have his gun. We have his fingerprints. We have his palm prints. Um, we have the fact he was nowhere else at the time. The gun was used. The, the bullet fragments and cartridges traced back to the gun. I mean, we have so much evidence against them. Well, let me ask you this. Have you heard of Prayer Man? I have heard of Prayer Man. Have you seen the pictures alleged to be this Prayer Man standing in the doorway? I have. And what are, you, what are your feelings on that? Who do you think that could be? I have no idea. I just It's not Oswald. Well, from the position that he's in, one would think that it would likely be a depository worker. And just about every – I mean, there's been a lot of research done on this. Bar Camp's been on this very show from Daily Plaza UK. And he's – him and Stan Dane and a bunch of other guys have really looked at this stuff over the years and tried to figure out who this prayer man could be. And they've pretty much accounted for almost all of the depository workers, male, white males, that it could have been. And it it's only left to be – Oswald. It could be nobody else. Billy you know, Lovely, sorts of, doesn't have to be an employee of the Texas School Book Depository. Well, I wouldn't think that somebody off the street would climb up all those steps through employees of the School Book Depository to stay yeah, a better a better way to look. I don't know. And my God, you know, I mean, you're, you're trying to put go into the mind of all those spectators who were there. Well, you got to remember, a lot of those spectators worked in these surrounding buildings. That they just didn't migrate there just to think, well, this would be a great place to see the parade from. Um, I'm sure some but, were, but, but some did. But most of the people standing on that stairway in front of the depository worked there in some form or fashion. But, but maybe not all. Maybe not all. I mean, so, so course, until we get a clearer your, your, picture. Yeah, get a get a, I mean, get a get a clearer picture. I mean, I'll wait. I'll be waiting decades. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is this is how silly I think it all becomes. I mean, 
I mean, we have all this evidence. Nobody saw Lee Harvey Oswald out there. We have all this evidence about against Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, my God, you know, I mean, what does it take to convince uh, conspiracy people that he that he he shot he fired the shots? How much more do you want? Well, I think the problem a lot of people have is motive. Oh, I can give you a motive. I mean, I mean how, the first the, how, the, the, how many assassins? Real quick, how many assassins have there been in history that have a wife and a kid at home and just had a baby a month before that? that just decide one day to go kill the president from the place they work at? Well, that's the loaded question. I mean, how many, you know, how many people kill presidents? Not very many. So you're, you're talking about a very small population. Right. Look, I I mean, if, if you're really worried about a motive, I mean, first off, I can't like anybody else. We cannot go into the mind of Lee Harvey Oswald. He's dead. We'll never be able to firmly go into his mind. We can't do that. But we can do is go back, and I believe. Have you read Gene Davison's book, Oswald's Game? I ha- I have it, but I have not read it yet. You should read it. It's a terrific book, and I think she gives the best explanation for perhaps why Oswald did it. On the evening of September ninth, nineteen sixty three, in the New Orleans Times Picayune, there was an article that reported on a speech that Castro gave in Havana. In that speech, Castro said if, if attacks continue on Cuban leaders, then American leaders themselves will not be safe. Oswald most assuredly read that article. He was probably aware of attacks on Cuban leaders. He was probably incensed. He loved Castro. He loved the Cuban Revolution. So I believe this is an opportunity to strike a blow for the Cuban Revolution. Then why not team up with some of these um, anti or these people over here to try to, to change things instead of going a more dramatic route to just throwing your life away. His life is his life was falling apart in many ways. Um, Oswald had a propensity for violence, as we know with the Walker shooting and the fact that he beat his wife. Um, everything he had tried in terms of organization had failed. He had failed at his jobs, couldn't hold down a job. Um, he failed at everything. And so all of a sudden, unexpectedly, comes an opportunity to kill the president. He decided to take it. It, it came – He would, nobody would know this would come. Nobody could, could foresee that the motorcade would come right, right underneath the, his position at the Texas School Book Depository. He had an opportunity, and he took it. All right. I want to. I have a theory about what happened in there a little bit, and I want to get your opinion on it. Okay. Okay. As we know, Oswald did not order that rifle in his name. Yep. It was attributed to A.J. Alec, Alec J. Heidel. Yep. And he also associated the name A.J. Heidel with the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Correct? Yep. Okay. So just hypothetically, say he did bring that rifle to work that day because he was involved in something that could have went down like this. Hey, look, you know, we're going to have somebody firing some shots at the president just to scare him into finally doing something about these communists that are 90 miles off of our shore. 
because Kennedy was viewed as being soft on communism. You know, they weren't happy with him over the Bay of Pigs thing. And it's going to be traced back to this guy, A.J. Heidel, who bought this rifle. He's associated with Castro. That will, in turn, incense Kennedy enough to do something, finally, about Castro and Cuba. Um, and, and Lee, all you got to do is take your rifle up there and hide it on the sixth floor, and we'll do the rest. Do you see anything feasible about that idea? No, because Oswald killed Kennedy. The bullet fragments found in the limousine traced back to Oswald's gun. He killed him. Yeah, but you're talking about a very rudimentary lead fragment analysis from 19. Not rudimentary. It was uh, every everybody used tested. They clearly came from Oswald's gun. The three cartridges came from Oswald's gun. He killed the CE three ninety nine came from Oswald's gun. Oswald killed him. Well, do you think because of the sloppiness and ineptness of the Dallas Police Department having to deal with something like this and not being very experienced with it and their lack of chain of custody of evidence would have exonerated Oswald if they ever went to court? No, he would have been it would have been a very quick trial. He would have been found guilty. The chain of evidence is actually quite okay when you look at it for what's really needed. Oh, he would have been it would have been four days he would have been over very quickly. You think? Oh, absolutely. That's interesting. I would love to see <laughs> I would love to see you go round and round. Have you ever heard of Barry Krush? No. He's the he's the author of Impossible, the case against Lee Harvey Oswald. And he has an open hundred thousand dollar challenge out there to anybody who wants to have a mock trial with him and if you win you get a hundred thousand dollars in front of twelve, you know, jur quote unquote jurors. Um and to the, I think to this day, I had him on my show a while back, um, but to this day, nobody's taken him up on it. And well, so what? I mean, we've already had a great mock trial. Guess what? Oswald was found guilty. Right, but there's 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 a lot of problems. That was a real that was a real good mock trial with real Dallas witnesses. You haven't you, you have no nitrates on Oswald. Indicators that he fired a gun. Nobody ever sniffed a gun. But that would, kind of, there wouldn't be nitrates from the Mandler-Carcano. They did test on the Mandler because it's a closed chamber. There would not be nitrates from the Mandler-Carcano. That's entirely consistent. He would have had to. He would have had to use the bolt and open up the chamber. And, and they did the test. Chamber. The FBI tested it, and they did not have nitrates after testing it with the Mandler-Carcano. Well, maybe the gun was never fired. They fired the gun, and that's what happened with their tests. They did those tests. And no nitrates came out on their hands. No nitrates came out. I mean, you got to re- <laughs> the evidence is there. It's clear. <laughs> I mean, really, this is the problem with with again, people really need to read all the evidence. This is why I like having guys like you on the show because, you know, you hear these things, these 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 factoids, as John McAdams likes to call them. Yeah. Um, you know, conspiracy but, people like to say, well, no no nitrates were found on his hands, which means he couldn't have fired the gun. I mean, look, the real problem, I mean, I, 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 you know, if you go back to Mark Lane's book, Rush to Judgment, ask yourself, go back to the book tonight, pull, pull, pull out the book and look at it. If you have it, I have a first edition of that book. So do is, I. Yeah, I. Is there know. anything, anything in that book that holds up today? Anything. I would make the case that there is nothing in that book except for the date of which Kennedy was killed that holds up today. That book is a sham and a fraud 
from start to finish, and he misled so many people. I will agree. He he was a little shady uh, character, Mark Lane. We're speaking of here. Yep. Um, and he did kind of twist things and emit things, omit things um, that didn't suit his his point of view. And would would he was a very good talker. He could talk people into saying what he wanted them to say. Um, but just have you ever? Um, and because I, on this show, the Midnight Rider News Show. I know that ST, the, the the normal host, he, he just had a uh, a couple guys on the show who wrote a book called Behind the Fence Line, right? And it's the story of Ed Hoffman, the deaf mute, right? Who who supposedly saw something going on behind the fence line, where you know somebody firing a shot, disassembling a weapon, breaking it down, and and walking in two separate directions. What do you think of eyewitness testimonies like that? people like Ed Hoffman who really have no reason to lie. They don't seek fame. They never change their story. What do you think about that? I'm not sure when you say you don't, they don't seek fame. You get fame from saying stuff like that. He was fetid for saying it. Um, there's no evidence he was there. He didn't say tell the story uh, to the Warren Commission, to the FBI. There's absolutely no evidence corroborating what he saw. Um, it's it's ludicrous to think that there was a gunman where he claims there was, because we know the medical evidence says there's no shots fired from in front. Right. I just wanted to get your take on it because I I know these guys. And that's the here, there is and, that, and, that, and and that's the, on you know right after the assassination, there's not one witness to a gunman other than a gun being fired from the Texas School Book Depository sixth floor window. No other witnesses came forward seeing a gun. None. You mean from behind the fence line? No, the, the only gun people saw that day was from the sixth floor window. Well, you can't give me one witness right after the assassination who came forward and said they saw a gun somewhere. They said they saw a barrel. No, who? Who? What was it Amos Ewins? He or... saw a gun at the sixth floor window. Right, but I'm saying the only place people saw a gun was the sixth floor window. Right, I just have trouble thinking. Isn't that, that interesting? Well, the man like Carcano really doesn't have a, a very long barrel. Um, being being a carbine that would have been fitted with a bayonet, you know, from the World War II era trench fighting weapon, um, it didn't have that much of a barrel to it. I mean, you're looking at three or four inches of barrel extending from the stock. Um, you think that would be a unique identifier when you know people say, "Oh, I saw a foot. I saw a foot of uh, barrels." No, that's not the way eyewitness testimony works. I mean, don't forget, you're not expecting to see anything, and in a flash of an instant, you see a gun and then it's gone. Right. I mean, come uh, on. We we all know about eyewitness testimony. I mean, I I went to a. Uh, my sister lives in Boston, and a few years ago, we went to a uh, um, a play a murder mystery play. We sat in the front row. We knew a, a murder was going to take place in the play. And at some point, a murder takes place. And then in the play, a detective comes out and he asks the audience questions. You know what? Literally minutes after it occurred, I couldn't, what color was the briefcase? What was he wearing? Did he wear a hat? What color? I couldn't remember any of this. Yeah. I mean, that, everybody, that... everybody differed in yeah. what they remembered. And so here you have a, something that happens. Nobody expected an assassination to happen. It happened very quickly, within seconds. 
yeah, people aren't going to people aren't robots. They're they're going to have varying, you know, all sorts of memories. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a YouTube video, some, something like that play you described, where you know it has events of something happening. I think I think it was even in a classroom. You know, the teacher was trying to illustrate a point of eyewitness testimony, and that they had somebody come in the classroom, uh, accost somebody, steal their purse, and run back out. And then they were asking, okay, you know, what color was the guy? How tall? Uh, what was he wearing? How, you know, what fa facial hair? No facial hair? And it was just like you said, different answers throughout the spectrum from what people saw, and they weren't expecting it to happen. You know, it just kind of it kind of happened, caught them by surprise, and then got so. Ran so, do I expect Amos Ewins to uh, perfectly describe a Mandler Garcano? Uh, that day, no. He saw uh, he saw a weapon from the window. That's enough. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so, looking back on your experience as a teenage JFK freak, do you think you are better now for it, having experienced that in your life and been at least open to the possibility well, of it's it's learned me how it's certainly taught me a lot on how to evaluate evidence. I had to think about evidence and all sorts of other things. To be honest, I wish that every hour I had spent researching the assassination, I had spent playing my guitar. Yeah, I'd be a really good guitar player today, and I would that would have been a much more um, gratifying skill right. than being an expert on the JFK assassination. I totally understand that. I think we can say a lot of us on both sides have spent way, way too much time on this over the years, but there's just something about it. And, and either coming from your side, the need to, to open the eyes of, of, you know, other people that might not be seeing the entire picture, you know, it's, it's, it's very much not a black and white situation to some people. It is um, to some, there's a lot of gray area. Um, like me, I'm, you know, I've talked to, to guys like you over the years. And I'm, and I'm, t I'm still not convinced one way or the other. I don't think, you know, people normally don't like my assertion that, hey, Lee Oswald might have took a rifle into the depository. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I hear all kinds of stuff about that. But that doesn't mean I say he's on the sixth floor shooting it. You know what I mean? It's a, yep. it's a completely different scenario. But, you know, there's probably a hundred different scenarios that people believe in and there's a lot of quirky kooky crap out there being put out year after year you see it i'm sure and roll your eyes yeah you know, you know we see it on both sides um well not really both sides but mostly con the conspiracy side of things um you know and there's a certain group of people that try to remain true to finding the truth through you know historical documentation FOIA request, you know, file releases, reliable witness testimony, you know, and, and logic, uh, you know, speculate, you know, speculation, trying to put the pieces together and find the truth of the matter. So let me ask you this, Fred. Yep. Could you be swayed if, if some piece of evidence came up that you could not look past? Could you come back to the dark side? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, if, if, if there were real evidence of a conspiracy, um, absolutely. I mean, I'm all about evidence. You know, show me the evidence. Um, yeah. I mean, look, uh, this has been a journey for me, and it's a journey of really looking at uh, the hard evidence in this case. Um, so, yeah, I'm all about the truth.
Yeah, me too. You know, and if tomorrow some great grandson of somebody that happened to be in Dealey Plaza found their grandmother's camera and they had taken a picture of this, you know, the depository and the sixth floor was clearly in view and you could not dispute that, they, oh my God, there's Lee Harvey Oswald in the sixth floor window aiming a rifle. Yep. There so, you go. But, you know, you know until we have that. Yeah, until we have that. Have, the, evidence, the evidence is overwhelming that Oswald alone shot Kennedy. To some people. Well, I, again, I, I, as I say, I think the to me the evidence is overwhelming. And again, there is no evidence of conspiracy. Well, let me ask you something about conspiracy itself. Yep. Do, you, do you think – what are your views on other alleged conspiracies such as like the MLK assassination? Well, I'll tell, you one, assassination. I'll tell you one definite conspiracy. I'll tell you a couple of definite okay. conspiracies. Okay. Al-Qaeda conspired to bring down the, the Twin Towers. That was a definite conspiracy. And you you know <laughs> that uh, of course there's a whole other side to that. You see, there you go. There's actually evidence of a conspiracy, and that's not good enough for people. Well, what's the evidence of a conspiracy? What that nine something or however many Saudi hijackers it was conspired to take down the trade centers? Yes, we have. We have all sorts of evidence on that. Read the 9-11 report. It's all there. It's really conclusive. It was a conspiracy. They took down the Twin Towers. There you go. I mean, there's one conspiracy I believe in. And you know some people believe in holographic planes and nonsense like this. Uh, yeah, okay, look, and yeah. People space, believe, you know, space weapons and – People believe in nonsense, absolutely. Is there any anything you believe in a, in a shady conspiracy of – That's That was pretty shady. Well, that was you, a pretty horrible you, conspiracy. You understand I mean, what I'm saying? I, I, I'm trying to be helpful here. I, I think that was a, as horrible a conspiracy as it gets. All right. Do you think Sirhan killed Bobby Kennedy? Yes, he did, and he's admitted it. Despite the evidence? There, the, no, because of the evidence. He's admitted, and the evidence, again, is crystal clear. Well, how does he shoot Bobby Kennedy behind the ear from in front of him? Bobby Kennedy turned. I don't know about that. Yeah, and this has been recreated by again other people have recreated it. It's completely logical. And <laughs> there's no conspiracy in the Ken in the Robert Kennedy case. Sorry. It's just it's just a big coincidence that we get John F. Kennedy, you know, a great American president, and then the Martin Luther King, the leader of civil rights, and then you know the brother of Bobby Kennedy. All taken out in the '60s by crazy lone white assassins. It's a weird. It was a weird time uh, for sure. The '60s. Uh, lots of things happened in the '60s. You had look. It's it's a, it's a weird coincidence that uh, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and Jim Morrison all died at 27. Um, you know, within a few years of you know, right at the same time. I mean, that's a weird coincidence. It's sort of uh, that's the way it was back then. Yeah, and of course, there's a whole other side to that too that people believe in. I mean, we got we could go on for days and days about all this crazy conspiracy stuff that people believe in, but um, you know, well, look, Fred, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anything that you'd like to to leave our listeners with? Uh, maybe how to get, how to find your books, 
Uh, get in it's, touch. It's, uh, it's conspiracyfreak.com. You could find uh, um, reviews of my book, uh, pictures from my book, um, interviews with me, video of me, um, how to buy my book. Look, I think people should take an open mind, read my book. My book is more a history of conspiracy thinking in the assassination. I have a lot of funny stories in my book. I tell the, the, the inside story of, uh, uh, of the movie JFK. Um, I tell some story. I have a really interesting chapter on conspiracy documentaries on the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Um, I tell the story of the documents, what's secret, why it's secret, what's in them. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in my book, and uh, read it with an open mind, and people could contact me if you have questions. Yeah, just like I did. I went to the yeah. website, and I hit the contact button and because I, I had heard Fred on another show, and I really wanted to talk to him, and uh, he will answer you. So if you have any questions about anything we talked about here tonight or anything you'd like clarification on, feel free to reach out. He'd be more than happy to talk to you. Um, Fred, once again, thanks again for coming on the show. Hopefully you had fun. I had a lot of fun talking to you. It was great. That was great. We could do it again sometime and go deeper into some of these things. That sounds great. I would love to do that. Okay. Well, thank you very much. No problem, Fred. Hope you all enjoyed the show again at the Lone Gunman 7, the Lone Gunman Podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Maybe I'll be back. Peace. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.